We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 133 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys. It is Kentucky week as I break down the Gamecocks game against Kentucky Wildcats on Saturday night. I'll go through the top storylines, key matchups to watch, keys to the game, give my prediction, and much, much more. Also, have some news and notes to get to, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver Tory Gurley as we discuss his playing days for South Carolina, life in the NFL, the CFL, the current state of Gamecock football, and much, much more. Before we get into all of that, this is a broadcast to you by our friends over at Tanny Hills Group Therapy. Yes, Tanny Hills Group Therapy, the oldest bar in five points owned by legendary USC quarterback Steve Tannehill. They've got great specials for you guys, including Taco Tuesday, Wing Wednesday. They're perfect if you're a local here in Columbia and you want to grab a bite, a bite to eat. Or if you're in town for game day, you want a fun night out in the town, Tanny Hills is the way to go. Again, that's Tanny Hills Group Therapy, located down in five points. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show as always. It is Kentucky Week. Gamecocks taking on the Kentucky Wildcats Saturday night, 7.30 at Williams-Brice Stadium. Got a full breakdown for you guys, uh, all of that as we usually do. Before we get into everything, I'm going to start the show with some news and notes. No housekeeping items really to get to on today's show, but I want to start with a couple of news and notes really quick, quickly, and then we'll dive into Kentucky. Um, first off, obviously happened right after the Monday show was released, but Jamias Williams officially transferring or officially announcing that he is going to take his red shirt, will not play any longer in 2019, and will transfer from the University of South Carolina. I know it was very surprising news for most of us as Jam Williams is a guy that played, that played a lot for South Carolina, was a guy that we all expected to contribute. I know it was crazy. I was talking about this uh, on the Coop Collins show on Tuesday afternoon, I think it was, but it was crazy because last season, before last season actually, I had Michael Felder. I don't know if you guys are familiar who that is, but he used to work for Bleacher Report, is now with Stadium. Um, a guy who knows the game of football in and out. And, you know, we talked about Jamias Williams and talked about how good of a player he thought he could be and how he could transition to the safety position and that he could be like a, a ball hawk type guy in the SEC. And it just really never happened for him. I don't know. What happened with Jamias Williams' game? I don't know if it was coaching. I don't know if it was he never – adjusted schematically to what they wanted him to do but 
Whatever happened, Jim Williams is no longer a Gamecock. Again, he will be taking the red shirt, uh, sitting out the rest of the 2019 season, and transferring at the end of the year. Uh, also, one other quick thing, USC adding Furman and Liberty to the 2023 schedule. I know some fans were a little bit less than thrilled, if you will, um, as far as just the competition. I think they said the Gamecocks are going to be paying Liberty 500000 and Furman a million or one or the other. It's, it's something like that. But either way, South Carolina adding to its future schedule, Furman and Liberty, which, again, are less than stellar matchups. But, hey, it is what it is. So adding those to the 2023 schedule. So, all right, like I said, let's get into it. It's Kentucky weekend. Gamecocks taking on the Wildcats, 7.30 kick on SEC Network at Williams-Brice Stadium. South Carolina in this one, the line was pretty interesting. Open as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That since jumped to three-and-a-half, now sitting at three. South Carolina, a three-point favorite over under sitting at 51-and-a-half. Uh, the over-unders actually jumped up since I did the best bet. I said the under 50 was the best play. The over-under has since jumped from 50 to 51 and a half. So, um, a lot of betters thinking this one's going to be a little bit higher scoring than I think, uh, which I'll get to in just a little bit. Serious history, Gamecocks lead at 17-12-1. We all know about the ugly five-game losing streak currently going on right now. Um, last time they met, Kentucky won the ballgame 24-10 last year in Lexington in a game where – Kentucky really dominated. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. They dominated from the opening snap. Injury report, Hank Manos and Keir Thomas, two guys who are out. I think other than that, the Gamecocks should be pretty good. Obviously, we're, we're all holding our breath in regards to the health of Ryan Helinski. I know, what, I know what Will Muschamp said at his press conference on Tuesday, but we didn't hear about the Ryan Helinski injury until Friday of last week. So I'm still kind of holding my breath on how Ryan Helinski, just how healthy he is. But Hank Manos, Keir Thomas, Confirmed guys are out. I'm sure we'll learn more as the week goes on of guys, other guys who may miss on Saturday, but those are the two main guys off the top of my head that are going to be out for Saturday's game. Uh, breaking down the Wildcats, they're coached by Mark Stoops um, in his seventh year. Kentucky right now 2-2 two and two with wins over Toledo and Eastern Michigan, losses to Florida and Mississippi State. Kentucky's had a very interesting season. They've, they've battled injury. It's crazy how many starting quarterbacks in the SEC East have gone down. Their starting quarterback, Terry Wilson, out for the year. Kentucky actually starting their backup quarterback this game. Actually, I think their third string, Sawyer Smith, uh, who's, who's going to be replacing Terry Wilson. He's actually played the last couple of games. Terry Wilson hurt a couple of weeks ago. Sawyer Smith actually hurt in last week's game against Mississippi State. Hurt his shoulder, was taken in for x-rays at halftime, but uh, came back to play the second half. Smith has thrown for over 200 yards in both of his first two starts. He completed just 36% of his passes against Mississippi State. So, again, the Wildcats offensively dealing with some injuries. It's been a very interesting year for Kentucky. Again, sitting at 500, um, and their two wins really not that impressive again against Toledo and Eastern Michigan. They're battling with their own, uh, own stuff they're going through on offense. So, it should be very interesting. Let's get into the storylines, the biggest storylines for this game. And simply put, the first storyline has got to be, is this the year the Gamecocks finally get rid of this nasty, ugly streak to the Kentucky Wildcats? Listen, it, it's been a long, long time since South Carolina has beaten Kentucky. Literally 2013, when the Gamecocks won 11 games. Uh, in South Carolina, I, I read something, somebody tweeted, uh, the last time South Carolina beat Kentucky, Obama was still in office. South Carolina had beaten Clemson five years in a row. The Gamecocks finished in the top five. I mean, it's simply put, it's been a long freaking time since South Carolina beat Kentucky. Is this finally the year the Gamecocks break the streak? Again, it has been a long streak. Kentucky going for six in a row. And I'm just going to tell you right now, 
you cannot justify this Gamecocks football program is headed in the right direction if you cannot win this game on Saturday against Kentucky. You know, it's funny. South Carolina fans, I think still to this point, are not willing to give Kentucky credit and say that the Kentucky football program is ahead of South Carolina or say that South Carolina should have lost any of those games to Kentucky. I'll be completely honest with you. There's not a single game in the five-game losing streak that I have picked South Carolina to lose. Not a single one. And it's just crazy to think how this streak has just snowballed and built up and it's gotten to the point where Kentucky's won five in a row. So is this the year that South Carolina at home, at night, at Williams-Brice Stadium, do they finally end that streak? Obviously, that's a huge thing to talk about and look at. Uh, another big storyline to me, how healthy is Ryan Helensky really? Again, I know what Will Muschamp said on Tuesday. I know that he said that Ryan Helensky was slinging it around, he's fine, whatever, but fact of the matter is we thought he was fine all last week too. And we find out on Friday, we hear things, he might miss the game, he might be out a couple weeks ends up playing, but he definitely did not look healthy. He looked like his arm was bothering him. How healthy is Ryan Holinsky really? I don't think we're going to know until we see him on Saturday. Because I'll tell you right now, the elbow is nothing to mess with. And it's crazy because I've heard different things from different people about the status of Ryan Holinsky. And I'll just tell you this. South Carolina better be able to run the football on Saturday. That, that's my – they better be able to run the football on Saturday. Now, if he comes out and throws it around 30, 40 times, those five touchdowns, I'd love to be wrong in that regard. But I'm not putting too much hope and too much stock into an injury report from Will Muschamp. If you want to do that, that's on you. But I, to me, how healthy is he? I, I don't know. I mean, how healthy is that arm? You know what I mean? Because that, that's something that can really linger when you have a, uh, a sore elbow like he had. So how healthy is Ryan Linsky really? That's going to be something to keep a very, very close eye on. And something that I think we're going to know immediately. I mean, it was evident on Saturday against Missouri that Ryan Linsky was not himself. Flat out was not himself. So I think it's something we're going to know very early. And again, I think the Gamecocks need to be able to run the football on Saturday. That's all I'll say about that. Um, another big storyline. What gives the Gamecocks defense, the Kentucky offense? You know, like I mentioned, new quarterback for the Kentucky Wildcats and Sawyer Smith. Kentucky, he has actually been very, very poor at turning the football over or has turned it over a ton this year. He's already thrown four interceptions um, and already lost a fumble. The Gamecocks on defense, meanwhile, you know, I thought were better, I guess you could say, against Mizzou, but still have not been good. They've not been good and not been up to par. Is this the game the Gamecocks defense finally has a dominating type performance? Finally forces three or four turnovers and really changes the entire momentum of the game. Is this the game that J.C. Horn gets his first career pick? It's just is it, it's, a, it's about time for this defense to step up and have a game where it dominates. It takes some of the pressure off its offense. Um, but what gives? Because Kentucky's offense, I don't think right now, is very good at all either. Now, Kentucky's got some decent backs. They've got Lynn Bowden out at wide receiver, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But the Gamecocks defensively, this is an opportunity. At home, at night, you'll have your home crowd behind you. You know, it's an opportunity to step up and kind of have one of those dominating performances, one of those old-school dominating performances that we've seen from Gamecocks defenses. Um, you know, I think Javon Kinlaw has got an opportunity to have a big game for South Carolina. I think there are guys on that South Carolina defense who have an opportunity to show out and really ball and have a big game for South Carolina. But what gives? Is it the Gamecock defense or the Kentucky offense? We'll have to wait and see Saturday night. Uh, huge, maybe the biggest storyline going into the game. The point of attack, the line of scrimmage. 
can the Gamecocks win at the line of scrimmage? Listen, this five-game losing streak, you could sum it up in one word, trenches. The battle in the trenches. Kentucky has won that battle every single year. Kentucky, Kentucky has physically whipped South Carolina for five straight years, and that is why they have a winning streak. And it is maddening. It is maddening to watch and to see, and the reason the Gamecocks have been so bad against Kentucky is because they get physically whipped. I mean, again, that might be the biggest storyline of this entire game. Can South Carolina finally buck this trend, come out with it with an edge, with an attitude, set the tone early, and be the more physical team? Can they be the more physical team Saturday night? They're going to need to if they want to win. And lastly, my last storyline, just simply put, what this game means for the future of the program and for Will Muschamp's future as head coach. I mean, let's not sugarcoat it, guys. We all came in this 2019 season talking about this is a must-win game. This is the game on the schedule you've got to win. You can't lose – like I mentioned earlier, you can't lose to Kentucky for a sixth straight year in a row and convince anybody this program is headed in the right direction. You just can't do it. You cannot do it. And now the heat's turned up even more because I think a lot of people at this point in the season thought you'd be three and one. At worst case, two and two. But you're sitting at one and three. I mean, in this point, if you're in the must in the corner of Will Muschamp wanting him as head coach, I think you're in the minority. And if you lose this one to Kentucky, I, I mean, I don't know how. I don't see any any way for Will Muschamp to come back from it. I really don't. And for the program, I mean, just for the program, again, you cannot say this program is in a good place or headed in the right direction if you lose to Kentucky for a sixth straight year. You just can't do it. I mean, you just you're nobody you're not nobody's buying that. Nobody's buying that if you lose to Kentucky again. So th this game has an insane amount of importance for this coaching staff, this program, this 2019 team, the keeping the locker room intact, the morale of this team, the morale of this fan base, going into a bye week after Kentucky. You just you can't afford a loss. Will Muschamp can't afford a loss. This program can't afford a loss. It's huge. I mean, there's, there's no words. You, I don't need to say anything about it. You guys already know. All right, let's get into the key matchups to watch for this game. Three key matchups I think will go a long way to deciding this one. I want to start on the outside with defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Lynn Bowden. Lynn Bowden, a guy um, that I think Kentucky quarterback Sawyer Smith will be depending on all game long when he does try to throw the football again. I think Kentucky's going to come out and try to run the football. I think they are. I think they will try to run the football. Um, you know, I think they're going to try to establish the ground game, be physical, do what they've done in the five-game winning streak. But when they do throw it, Lynn Bowden's the guy they're going to go to. He had seven catches for 129 yards a week ago. A guy who can make plays is by far the most dynamic playmaker on the Kentucky offense. On the other side, again, you have J.C. Horn, a guy who, again, to me, this is a big opportunity for J.C., man. I feel like I say this every single week. Is this the week he gets his first career pick? <laughs> I mean, is this that week? You know, if you're, if you're the guy that you say you are, J.C. Horn, you got to win battles like this. I mean, with all due respect to Lynn Bowden, 
J.C. Horn's got to be able to lock his man down. But either way, if South Carolina can eliminate the passing game, they can eliminate Lynn Bowden out of the passing game even. If J.C. Horn can lock his man down and win this matchup, it's going to make it much, much easier for the Gamecocks defense because I fully expect South Carolina to come out and stack the box and, and dare Sawyer Smith to throw the football. Dare him to throw the football. And if they can get him in third and longs, again, it's going to allow a guy like J.C. Horn to feast. So, big matchup to watch on the outside. Again, defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Lynn Bowden. My second key matchup for this game on Saturday night are the Gamecocks running backs, Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle against linebacker Cash Daniel. Cash Daniel, a guy who has been in the news for all the wrong reasons of late. Obviously, uh, most notably for twisting the Florida player's leg under the pile. He says he didn't do it. It was a huge thing on social media, going back and forth. You know, whatever. Let's talk football on the field. Cash Daniel's a pretty solid linebacker. He's probably their biggest playmaking guy on defense for Kentucky. The Gamecocks, in my opinion, need to be able to establish the run Saturday night. Again, maybe Ryan Holinsky is 110% healthy and come out and throw it 50 times and no big deal and, you know, whatever. But I don't – I'm not buying it yet. And in, in this game, I just think it's so important to establish the line of scrimmage for South Carolina, set the tone early, be able to run the football, and use Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster. I mean, South Carolina simply abandoned the run last week against Missouri. I think Rico Dowdle touched it eight times. Eight carries for 17 yards, I think. Tavian Feaster, even less carries, touched it less. You got two guys in your backfield averaging over five yards per carry. Why wouldn't you give it to them? Why would you not give it to them? I mean, this, this goes into a much bigger issue, but South Carolina's got to find an identity, man. They don't have an identity offensively. Let's start. I'd love to see that develop starting this week. Start out running the football, pound the rock, Run the football and let the run open up the pass. You've got two capable backs. Rico Dowdle's been run out of his mind this year. Tavian Fisher's a guy that transferred to be a playmaker for you. So, again, this will be a big matchup to watch. I mean, much champ talked about in the offseason, you know, in the running game, you have run fits and guys are blocked, but you got to make one guy miss. That one guy is probably going to be Cash Daniel. So, South Carolina's running backs need to be better than he is on Saturday night. And my last key matchup to watch. Goes back to the trenches. It's a common theme. Goes back to the trenches. Defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw against offensive lineman Logan Stenberg. You're like, who is Logan Stenberg? Logan Stenberg got six foot six, three thirty on the inside for Kentucky. Listen, really, you could have picked just the Kentucky offensive line in general, or any guard or whoever on their offensive line. But Javon Kinlaw is a guy who's been playing like a madman this year. He's definitely made himself some money. Um, again, been playing like a madman. Four sacks already on the year. Javon Kinlaw is a guy, I mean, I say it every week, he needs to have a big game for Carolina. He needs to have a big game for the Gamecocks on Saturday night. Kentucky's going to try to come out, be the more physical team, run the football, do what they've done for five years in a row. A guy like Javon Kinlaw can be that disruptor in the middle. Obviously, he needs other guys around him to help. I would 100% agree with that. But it all starts with Javon Kinlaw setting – that's the type of guy, in my opinion – who can set the tone for you? That's the type of guy who can do that. Who can set the tone on the inside and in the line of scrimmage at the point of attack. So, again, my three key matchups to watch in this one, defensive back J.C. Horn against wide receiver Lynn Bowden, running backs Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle against linebacker Cash Daniel, and defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw against offensive lineman 
Logan Stenberg. Let's jump into the keys to the game, my three keys to the game. The first one is simple, and I've, I've been talking about it the entire show. Win the line of scrimmage. South Carolina will not win this football game if they don't win the line of scrimmage. If you want proof that it won't happen, look at the last five years. I don't think there's a single game out of those you can look and say, you know what? The Gamecocks won at the point of attack. They won the line of scrimmage. They just got beat by a better team. Because I don't think any Gamecock fans will sit here and tell you that Kentucky was the better football team any of the five years. I don't think we'd, any of us would be willing to admit that or say that and, or even believe that. But the Gamecocks have got to win the line of scrimmage. They just have to. Establish the run, stop the run. That is the biggest key in this game. South Carolina needs to establish the run and stop the run, period. They need to come out nasty on the line of scrimmage, playing with, a, with an attitude and with a mindset that we're going to be more physical, that we're going to be the physical team tonight. We're going to hit you in the mouth every single play until you're sick of it. You don't want to be at Williams-Brice Stadium no more. That needs to be the mindset, in my opinion. So win the line of scrimmage and win at the point of attack. My second key to the game, which I kind of already set the stage for, set the tone. Set the tone from the opening snap. And I'm not talking about what happened in 2017, where South Carolina came out, you know, fired up. You score early with Debo, you get a pick, and the Gamecocks, I thought, got way too emotional, way too high, and everything kind of fell apart. Set the tone from a physicality standpoint, in the trenches, at the line of scrimmage, finishing runs, bringing a guy down to the ground, making him feel it. Hit a guy in the mouth. Whatever you got to do, set the tone in this foot. Because why wouldn't Kentucky be coming in this game with a hundred, with tons of confidence? Why would Kentucky not be coming in this game with tons of confidence? It's a South Carolina team that's down and out with a freshman quarterback at one and three. Kentucky's got their own problems on offense, sure. But they've dom Kentucky's dominated South Carolina at the line of scrimmage for five years. Why wouldn't they be confident? South Carolina's just got to find a way to set the tone and make it where this game gives off the aura of this is not going to be like the last five years. This is going to be a different night, a different game. This is a different team with a different mentality, and we're going to go out there and we're going to win the football game. It's got to happen. My last key to the game, bring pressure. Stack the box. Blitz. I'll be very intrigued to see the defensive game plan from T-Rob for this weekend. Listen, you got a guy in Sawyer Smith that is basically the third-string quarterback for Kentucky. Got hurt last week. I mean, who knows if he's even 100%. Has thrown four picks already. Lost a fumble. Has turned the football over a lot. One of the biggest things your, your team and your defense especially could use is turnovers. Bring the pressure. Make this kid beat you with his arm. And make him make the quick decisions under pressure and under duress. Like I said, I expect T-Rob and Will Muschamp to have a good defensive game plan put together. And, to, again, make a young quarterback, make a young inexperienced quarterback make decisions on the fly. So, again, my keys to the game. Win the line of scrimmage, set the tone, and bring pressure. Now, for the fun part, my prediction for Saturday night, again, Gamecocks taking on Kentucky, 7.30 kick. And what 
you would think should be a fairly raucous environment. I know that the Gamecocks are one in three. I know the the mood right now around Gamecock country with Gamecock fans is not the most positive. I mean, I'll be honest, it, it's tough right now to, to run a Gamecocks podcast a little bit. Because, you, you know, I want something positive to talk about. But simply put, right now, there are not a lot of positive feelings. And there's not a lot of great things to talk about right now. But the Gamecocks have the chance to, I don't want to say right the ship, but at least get some positive momentum and have something to feel good about going into the bye week. You know, again, this is a game that South Carolina fans and South Carolina in general had circled and been talking about all offseason, this Kentucky game. You cannot lose this Kentucky game. You cannot lose a six straight to Kentucky, period, point blank. No matter what else happens, you can't lose to Kentucky. The, the five-game winning streak that Kentucky currently has over South Carolina is one of the more mind-boggling streaks I've ever seen, and I think anyone else has ever seen. Again, I don't think there's any South Carolina fans out there that would say that any of the years, Kentucky was a just truly top-to-bottom, better, more talented football team. I don't know that anybody would be willing to say that. But, again, Kentucky's got the winning streak, and – if they beat you a sixth straight year, th- there's no backing out of that corner. You, you can't sit here and say that South Carolina is a better program than Kentucky if they lose to them for a sixth straight season. You just can't do it. You just cannot do it. This is such a vital game for so many reasons. Again, I already mentioned for the program, for Will Muschamp, but for this team, for the morale of this team, because as you'll hear in the interview with Tory Gurley, you know, he talks about the locker room and not losing the locker room. That is something you kind of worry about. I mean, how do these guys in the locker room take this? If you, if you lose to Kentucky, you go to one and four, and you're going to the bye week, one and four with Georgia coming up. You're going to be one and five. I mean, it, you lose this Kentucky game, this season's going to spin out of control. I'm going to tell you right now. This season will spin out of control. The Gamecocks, though, a team that, again, looking for their identity. It's maddening because I don't think South Carolina knows who it is, what it wants to do, what it's even good at. Meanwhile, Kentucky comes in with Sawyer Smith, a quarterback who's barely played. They've got their own issues on offense. Two solid running backs, I'll say. Two solid, capable running backs. And that's – I fully expect that's what Kentucky's going to try to do, pound the football, run the football like they've done in the past you know, win at the point of attack, like I already talked about. And defensively, I mean, they have Cash Daniel. They lost Josh Allen, lost a ton of talent from uh, their team a year ago on defense. So you think the Gamecocks should be able to score a little bit. Here's my biggest thing, guys, going in this football game, because I want to go ahead and get to my prediction. The biggest thing that scares me in a game like this, because, I mean, let's call it what it is. This game's a coin flip. South Carolina, a three-point favorite, means they'd be a – It'd be a pick on a neutral site, which means Kentucky would be a three-point favorite at their home field. This is as much a pick as pick gets. This is a pick coin flip type of game. When is the last – I mean, have, let me ask you this, actually. Have you ever come into a toss-up type of game and felt like that the thing that would put South Carolina over the edge is the coaching side of things? 
hey, we're going to go out there, listen, it's a coin flip or hell, this team might be better than us, but we're going to go out there, we're going to outcoach somebody. We're going to have a game plan that we're going to execute. It's going to be a damn good game plan, and they're not going to see it coming, and that's why we'll win the football game. That'll be one of the big reasons why we win the football game. Mark me as one of those that has absolutely no confidence that Will Muschamp is going to get this team prepared to play and play its best and win a critical toss-up game. I, I hate to say it. I hate to say it. But I don't think Will Muschamp is – I don't know that – I don't believe that he's capable of that anymore. Again, I've already talked about how vital this South Carolina-Kentucky game is. We all know how important it is. I, I literally don't – I don't have to say it. You guys know. But this game on Saturday night, like I mentioned, I've picked South Carolina to win the last five years, even after three in a row. No, it couldn't happen again. After four in a row. No, there's no way it could happen again. Well, it's happened five times in a row. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. With the way South Carolina looked at Missouri, a true freshman quarterback that I'm still not 100% is, I'm still not convinced is 100% healthy. A defense that's inconsistent. A team that doesn't know who it is, identity-wise, has no clue, again, what it wants to do, what it does, what it's good at, what it's bad at. A team that hasn't shown that physicality in the trenches against this Kentucky team the last five seasons. And a team that has a head coach that has, is, is incompetent and can't get a team ready to play in a big game like this one, much less ready to win a big game like this one. I've got Kentucky winning this football game 23-20. to 20. I think the Wildcats win a six straight. I think the Gamecocks fall to one and four. And I think South Carolina is forced as an athletics department and an athletics program to seriously look itself in the mirror, look and evaluate everyone's positions within the organization and make necessary changes from there. Again, I'm not saying that Will Muschamp will lose his job, but something will have to change. Something, something will have to change. So, again, I'm not going down and being wrong again, picking South Carolina to beat Kentucky and being wrong. South Carolina's got to show it to me that they're going to go out there and beat this Kentucky team. they got to prove it to me. And until they do, why would you pick South Carolina to win? I mean, why? Why would you? Why would you – why would you pick South Carolina to win until they beat this Kentucky team and prove they can go do it? As frustrating as it is and as freaking damning and maddening as it is for me to pick Kentucky to win. I never thought I'd be on these airways picking Kentucky to beat South Carolina in football. Never. Never thought I would. But here we are. That's where the, that's where the program is right now. That is the point the program has gotten to. So, again, I've got the Gamecocks falling to Kentucky 23-20, to praying to God that I am wrong and that Saturday night the Gamecocks find a way to snap this ugly streak. Let's get into some listener questions. No voicemails. I actually read those off on the, uh, the Coop Call-In show earlier today. So, just have listener questions. We'll run through these really quickly. Cut of Gentleman says, how do you think Muschamp is handling the pressure of starting one and three? <laughs> I mean – I guess we'll never really know internally, but I'll tell you this from his Tuesday presser. I saw a guy that, I mean, it's tough. I mean, no doubt. There's a ton of pressure, as there should be. How is he handling it? 
I think the only way you can really know how a guy's handled, how does his team perform? I, it's a fight or flight. Do you back into a corner and cry and lose and you get fired, or do you come out with a chip on your shoulder and go take it to Kentucky? Simply put, I mean, we'll see what happens on the field. I think that'll tell you more than I can. Uh, let's see. Grayson underscore Foster 13. What is your opinion on jam transferring? Again, Jamias Williams, I mean, best of luck to him. I think a guy that, you know, listen, we don't know the relationship that he had with the coaches either. That could have had a huge part to play in it. So, I mean, a guy that, again, I can't believe how his career panned out. I thought he was going to be a guy who was going to be an all-SEC caliber player. I thought he was going to be a ball hawk for South Carolina. And it just never worked out. So, I mean, my opinion is he's doing what's best for him. And it's unfortunate for that it didn't work out at South Carolina. But, you know, it's kind of the reality of the college football, the, the college, uh, football transfer portal at this time. So, Sprague underscore Jack, who will be the new starting safety and what to expect from the defense versus Kentucky? I mean, new starting safety. I know they said McQuamu can play that role. Maybe Jamel Cook, uh, you know, JT Ebay and RJ Roderick are back there. So, maybe one of those two guys. They'll shuffle them around in some way. It's going to be a guy probably we've seen play already. They'll shuffle them around. Um, what to expect from the defense? I mean, I'd expect a good game. I would expect and hope for a good game. But, again, like I just mentioned, do you really, at this point, trust that T-Rob and Will Muschamp are going to put together a flawless game plan and the Gamecocks are going to dominate defensively for the entire game? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, and I'm not willing to bank on it that that's going to happen. So, uh, Peyton Muller, 16. How do you think our scheme on offense changes, changes aggressive? Oh, how do you think our scheme on offense changes aggressive, conservative, et cetera? I think you've got to be – it's not conservative, but you've got to run the football. You've got to run the football, man. That, that's just the bottom line, in my opinion. Got to run the football. Got to establish it when, – when at the point of attack, establish it the line of scrimmage. I don't think that's conservative. Let the run open up the pass. That just needs to be the game plan, in my opinion. So, call that what you will. R. Manthe 3, if we lose, will the fire must champ chance start in the stadium? Honestly, man, I wouldn't rule anything out. <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to fathom what – I know I picked it, but I don't even want to fathom what's going to happen if the Gamecocks lose to Kentucky what the energy around that stadium will be like. I really don't. But I wouldn't rule anything out. Reed Turner, 31. Would you take Jim Harbaugh if Michigan fires him at the end of the year? I don't think so. And that's obviously the South Carolina job. No, I don't think so. I'd rather go after a younger guy, offensive-minded, that hasn't been a washout at another school. I understand Michigan's expectations are crazy high. I understand Jim Harbaugh is a Super Bowl champion and his, his credentials, his background that he brings with him, you know, being from the NFL. But can we not get another washout from another school? Can we just go roll the dice on somebody, try somebody out? Why not, right? Whatever. Um, Beach.bum2001. Heard through the grapevine, Coach Bobby Bentley has already left the staff since UNC game. True. I have not heard that. I don't think that's true, but, hey, if you know something I don't, let me know. Um, the Joel Sario, what coach would you want to replace Muschamp? You know, Mike Norville from Boise State, that's one that jumps off. The, but, like I said, any younger coach 
Younger offensive-minded coach. Look at the way football's going. Look at Sean McVay. You know, look at, look at guys like that. I mean, that's the way the game is moving. You need an offensive guy. And like I said, why not just roll the dice on somebody? I mean, again, not everybody you hire is going to be Dabo. And I, I hate to bring him up, but it's just the truth at this point. One of the best coaches, if not the best in the entire country. But why not roll the dice and take a chance on a guy? I mean, hell, let's just see what happens. Let's not go get another guy who's a, who, who brings baggage from another school where he couldn't win. Because I hate to break it to you. If you can't win at Michigan, how in the hell are you going to win at South Carolina? If you couldn't win at Florida, how are you going to win at South Carolina? And when I say win, I mean championships, getting to that level. Not talking about winning. There are a lot of coaches that could take the South Carolina job and win six or seven games. Bro, that ain't that hard. I mean, that shouldn't be that hard to accomplish, honestly. That should be the absolute floor for this program, getting to a bowl game. I'm talking about getting a coach that can come in and win championships, compete for championships. Find that guy. Mac Birch underscore, is Muschamp's job on the line? I mean, it's certainly hanging in the balance with this Kentucky game, yes. I would say so. I mean, I don't – I just, again, I, I don't know how you could lose to Kentucky and feel like this program's headed in the right direction. You know, Ray Tanner's comments on 107.5 the game yesterday talking about, you know, reassuring how confident he is in Muschamp. And I simply tweeted, hey, Tanner – love Ray Tanner for what he did on the baseball diamond, but Ray Tanner – I don't know if he's got too much pride to admit maybe that hire wasn't as good as he thought or what have you, but he's going to go down with the ship too, man. I don't know if that's his goal or what he's trying to do, but he's going to go down with the ship as well. So, because, I mean, you lose to Kentucky, and it's just there's no coming back, man. There's no coming back. What are we going to do going to 2020 with a six-year losing streak to Kentucky? Hope we, hope, hope we can not let them make it seven in a row. Get out of here, man. Bruce 78 last question. Is talent evaluation a weak spot in our coaching staff with who belongs on the field? I think that's a good argument. I think it's an argument you can certainly make that talent evaluation is a, is a sore spot for this program right now. Look at Jam Williams. Look at all the misses in the secondary. Developing talent has been a major issue, I feel like, on this team. Look at Jake Bentley. Developing talent has been a very, very big problem. And that falls back on the head coach and the entire coaching staff. So, you know, take it for what it's worth, I guess. Appreciate the listener questions, guys. Let's jump into this interview. Got a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver Tory Gurley. Obviously a guy uh, was on the Gamecocks 2010 team that won the SEC East title and went to Atlanta, played Auburn in the SEC championship. Uh, Tory also played in the NFL for about five or, or about seven years or so, bounced around from a lot of different teams. Um, is now currently with Fox Sports, and is probably one of the more well-known Gamecocks, I guess, in the, the the media world, if you will. One of the louder, more outspoken Gamecocks um, out there. And I wanted to get him on the show. Obviously, talk about his playing career because obviously he played at a time for South Carolina that was one of the, you know, one of the best and the start of one of the best runs in school history at Carolina. But also. Get his take on the current state of Gamecock football and get his opinions on what's going on. Will Muschamp, the Kentucky game, 
it's a fantastic conversation for you guys. Hope you enjoy. It's brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far, the only ticket buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend. Guys, if you need your tickets to Saturday's game against Kentucky, there are plenty of them floating around on SeatGeek. Why not save 20 bucks in the meantime? Get your tickets through SeatGeek again. They got a great ticket rating system for you guys where they rate the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you have that peace of mind before you click the buy button. You're never going to get ripped off on tickets again. You know exactly what you're paying for before you click the buy button. You know if you're getting a deal. You know if you're getting ripped off. So it'll never happen to you again. SeatGeek's also got tickets to NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB. I know MLB playoffs are coming up. I know all you Braves fans listening to this, you want to get to Atlanta. I'm actually thinking about going to the NLDS in Atlanta next weekend. Get your tickets through SeatGeek. Concerts, comedy club events, doesn't have to be sports. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything. So, again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks wide receiver, Tory Gurley. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2008 to 2010. During his career, he amassed 75 receptions, 905 total yards, and six touchdowns. He was also part of the team who led the Gamecocks to the 2010 SEC East title. He played in the NFL from 2011 to 2014 for the Packers, Vikings, Raiders, Bucks, Chargers, Ravens, Browns, and Bills. He also spent time in the CFL from 2015 to 2017 with Toronto, Winnipeg, and Ottawa, and is now currently an on-air personality for Fox Sports. I'm very pleased to welcome the show former Gamecocks wide receiver Tory Gurley. Tory, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's <clears throat> it's a pleasure to have you on. Oh man, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Tori, I want to go back to the beginning for you, all the way back to when you were at Rock Hill High School in 2006, led those guys to the state championship in basketball and football. Um, I know that you originally committed to UNC, I believe, to play both sports. But talk about just kind of your recruiting process, because I know you were a guy that went to prep school. Um, when did South Carolina, you know, come into play for you? Again, I know you were an in-state guy. So when, when did South Carolina come into play? Was it in high school, or did they start recruiting you more so uh, when you were a prep school guy? No, South Carolina recruited me, uh, I guess. They, they recruited me from the beginning when I was in high school. Uh, Tyrone Nix, Ron Cooper, and Steve Spurrier are were the guys that were that I spoke a lot with, and I never had a conversation with Spurrier Jr. It was it was crazy how it all worked out, but um, obviously with us having a bunch of players from Rock Hill, South Carolina, to have a huge impact on Gamecock football, you know, I was offered a scholarship due to the fact that I looked like Coach Simpson on film. Uh, and it kind of dates back to how old I am. Our tape was on VHS back then. And i never forget when I went in the office and uh, I sat down and spoke with Coach Spurrier. He was like, you look like Coach Simpson out there. He said, you're going to be good in, in Gamecock, Garnet and Black, and, you know, I think you can make some plays playing defensive back. And before I could say anything, my mom just kicked me up under the table and she said, don't say anything. Just, hey, if he, with him offering you the scholarship, <laughs> you take it. And uh, that's how the – that's how I started my career at the university. That's Coach Spurrier. That was Coach Simpson. <laughs> so, I know you were a guy, again, you went to New Hampton Prep School in New Hampshire, played both football and basketball, obviously very, very successful for them. Um, I saw where you, you, were, you turned down offers by UNC and Tennessee and, again, committed to the Gamecocks. Uh, talk about the prep school experience, I guess, if we will. You know, what, what was it like going – 
you know, from high school through prep, prep school, and then, you know, you finally get to the D1 ranks. But, I mean, what was the prep school experience like for you? Is it similar to JUCO, or uh, what is that experience like? It was, it was a great experience. It was totally different because I was a, a Southern kid, and with me playing in, in the New Hampshire area, Boston, uh, Massachusetts area, but it, it was something that uh, cultured me. You know, I, I learned about different sports, learned about hockey and, um, and just having cold winters, <laughs> understanding what it's really like to be cold. And it, it was just a great opportunity for me to go there and to academically get myself together. Um, I, 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 the reason why I couldn't go to South Carolina or North Carolina in high school uh, after I graduated was because I was ineligible. And I went up to prep school and I was able to get my SAT score and I was able to get my core GPA up. And I was also able to save uh, two years of college eligibility. That was something I didn't want to forfeit. I wanted to spend uh, three to four years in college. I didn't want to cut it short going to junior college route and, you know, ultimately only having three years as an upperclassman. So hmm. I wanted to experience what it was like to be a freshman and I did and it saved my eligibility, and it, it just gave me a year to get myself together, and, and everything worked itself out at the end. For sure. So you get on campus, story 2008. You talked about that Spurrier said you like Coach Simpson playing def- – you know, he could see you playing defensive back for the Gamecocks, and we all know that you were a wide receiver for Carolina. You get on campus 2008. You redshirt as a true freshman, spent time on the scout team. When did the transition to wide receiver happen? Was it an immediate thing where you got on campus and were like, hey, coach, by the way, I'm a wide receiver? Or, I mean, did you start out at defensive back? Like, what, what was the uh, what was the position, you know, position uh, changes like for you? All right, so uh, in prep school, I played every position because there were about 22 guys on the team. And I knew I was one of the best receivers there. Like I, I was very, I was all, I've always been confident in my abilities, uh, regardless of how many stars another player had. I just felt that I was the guy that could come in and make a huge contribution. And the reason why I didn't play as a true freshman was that uh, when I went to prep school, academically I did so well that the NCAA flagged my scores. They flagged my SAT score, and it kept me from enrolling. In June, so I'm I'm thinking to myself uh, when it was time for us to move in in June for uh, summer workouts and getting the playbook and, and different type of uh, etc. stuff you got to prepare for the season. I'm I'm waiting around. I'm sitting in my friend's uh, apartment playing Xbox while the guys are working out because I got a call from Robbie House telling me that uh, there were some paperwork issues and I, I'm thinking it'll be resolved in an hour or whatever. So. Literally three or four days go by, and I finally get a call from the school, and they came out and told me they're like, "Hey, the NCAA flagged your score, and you're gonna you're gonna be forced to go to junior college if you can't pass the SAT again." And I was like, "Well, you know, everything is legit." They're like, "Well, for you to prove it, you have to retake the test." So I was put in a situation where instead of me focusing on football and getting ready for the season. I had to study again for the SAT, and I ended up taking the test again, and I literally scored the same score, and I enrolled uh, in campus. Uh, we played NC State at home. It was uh, it was Russell Wilson, I think, first year mm-hmm. yep. uh, as the starting quarterback, and Matthews just had a hell of a game that, that day. But that was the day I enrolled on campus, <laughs> and, wow. and the rest was history. So um, when, I, when I got in, 
I, I spoke with Spurrier and uh, Tyrone Nix because Kenny McKinley and Jason Barnes and Mo Brown were the starting receivers at the time. And I think some guys went down on defense and coach was like, hey, if you want to play, we can throw you out, throw you out there on special teams as well as get you some reps at defense because we need some bodies. And I, I went to him before the first practice, and I just told him, I was like, Coach, I'm the best receiver you have. I was like, I understand. Um, you know, I'm a team guy, and I'm willing to do whatever, but I feel like I'm going to be able to make money playing receiver one day. And um, he put me out there against Captain Munderland in one-on-ones, and I'll never forget everyone was watching. And Captain literally grabbed me by my collar and dumped me in the Gatorade cooler. And that was like my welcome to college moment. You know, I thought – you know, me coming from prep school, I was ready for SEC football and just going against a guy like captain and being in, being exposed in front of all my teammates, that truly lit a fire up under me to outwork everyone. And literally from that day on, it was a dogfight between captain and I. I mean, there would be times where Tyrone Nix would just, you know, the, the defensive coordinator, they, they sit in the office with Coach Spurrier. And each week that went by, they're like, man, we we might need to pull Tory's red shirt and let him play offense because we can't check him in practice. And it, it was one of those things everyone knew. And I used that same momentum in the spring. Uh, after I red shirt, I used that same momentum in the spring. Was the most improved player, and I was a starter on on opening opening day that following year. That's awesome. So I, I want to go back to, cause you were obviously a standout basketball player as well. Did, did basketball ever factor in where did you ever pitch it to Spurrier that you wanted to play basketball at South Carolina or was it ever an option for you or just, you just kind of got to South Carolina and focused on football? Yeah, I did. And I realized uh, I saw the success Sidney Rice had when he focused on just playing football. Cause Sidney was going to be the reason why I played basketball. Mm. Um, I thought he was going to play both sports because he and I were very close. And uh, there were other players on the team like Jared Cook and 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 Freddie Brown that were um, extremely talented basketball players. But I was a guy that really could play as well. But I saw when Sidney put everything he had into football, I, I just wanted to be like him. And a, a lot of people don't know this. The reason why I left as a redshirt freshman or re- as as a sophomore is because Sidney did it. Like I literally, uh, you know, idolized Sidney that much. I think the world of him. And, you know, I can say this now, uh, when I was in high school, I used to come down to Columbia and take stuff out of Sydney Locker. And I was out there at my high school planning and like all the fresh South Carolina gear. So when it was Reebok, I had the Reebok gear. When it was Russell, I had the Russell gloves and I had the gray Nike gloves that I wore every Friday night. And I, I mean, to this day, I'm still one of the biggest uh, Sydney Rice fans in the world. What was it specifically about Sydney's game that you were a fan of? Because obviously you being a receiver, I'm sure you tried to emulate a lot of what he did. And, I mean, you're right. He's, you know, one of the most legendary South Carolina wide receivers to ever wear the garnet and black. What was it about specifically about his game that maybe you liked the most or tried to emulate in your own game? Uh, just being able to pluck the ball out of the air. He made it look so effortless. And, and it was something that I always admired. And uh, when I realized, I was like, okay, he plays basketball and um, he uses that ability on the football field. I should be able to do the same. And I realized when I got to school that physically I was bigger and stronger than Sydney. So I was able to bring a uh, – I was able to use some of the stuff he taught me. And then I, I invented this thing called bully ball at South Carolina. So 
uh, Coach Spurrier Jr. was really big on guys blocking in the open field. But he, he coached everyone up like Kenny McKinley. And what I mean by that is my physical size is nowhere near Kenny. Like, Kenny is a little guy. So Kenny used to go out there and, and go cut guys and, and chop block them or whatever. I never wanted to do that. I, I wanted to hit you in the teeth, hit you right in the mouth. And um, I, I imposed my will on people. And from there, it truly started a, a, a different mentality and swagger that we had in that wide receiver room. I had – it was so uh, contagious that we had guys like A. Sanders going out chasing Brandon Spikes or chasing, you know, a linebacker – from uh, chasing Eric Berry or whoever trying to lay them out just so we can watch it on film the next day to give give them props. So it was one of those things that we really took a lot of pride in. And, you know, if you speak to anyone on a team, guys like Marcus or Alshon or uh, Brian Maddox or, who, or any offensive lineman, you know, they would sit there and tell you, like, Torrey is one of the best blockers we've, we've probably ever had. Like, it, it opened up so much in the passing game as well as the run game. We, we averaged 10 yards on a screen play. You know, that's something that's unheard of is having a guy like Alshon, he's already 6'5". You know, you have, a, you have a lead blocker in front of him, and if he stretches out, that's 8, 9, 10 yards right there. And it's, mm. it was something that we was notorious for, and, and that's why we was able to make the run we made uh, back in 2010. No doubt. So you mentioned 2009, you get most improved in the spring at wide receiver. As a redshirt freshman in 2009, you finally get the opportunity uh, to make your collegiate debut for South Carolina Division One football against NC State. You start off on a pretty high note, four catches, 34 yards. You guys get the win, and it was a really tough game in Raleigh. I want to ask you more so about, though, and I remember watching this as a fan and thinking just how crazy this seemed to me. And I have to imagine what you were thinking, but during the first, I believe, what, it was two – the first two games – or yeah, your first two starts, four. you had three touchdown or four touchdown catches called back due to a penalty. I mean, it was the most – the wackiest penalties that had nothing to do with you. I mean, at some point during that stretch, are you thinking to yourself, like, am I I'm, – I'm just never going to get a touchdown catch. It's just like – it just feels like it's not meant to be. All these penalties keep, keep calling you back. I mean, you could have finished that year realistically with like seven or eight touchdown catches. Yeah, and and close to 800 yards. Well, um, to be to be extreme, to be very honest with you guys, because you know this, these are conversations I've only had with my immediate family. I was trying to be the first person in school history to leave as a freshman, and I think that was the football guys just telling me, "Hey, you, you kind of you're you're trying to do too much." And I, I was really out there pressing to go out. And, and really make it to the NFL because financially my family needed it. You know, it was one of those things that um, my mom needed a lot of help. You know, I was going through – my grandmother passed away. Um, father never was in my life. And, you know, it was – I just wanted the opportunity to provide for my mom because I, I saw what she was going through day in and day out. So I, I used football as a as – a, uh, as a vehicle to get me to where I wanted to go. And I never cared about a draft grade or anything like that. The reason why I left school early was to provide for my family. You know, I was fortunate enough to play uh, seven years professionally. I'm a vested NFL veteran. Uh, I have a college degree and made a, a lifelong uh, connection and, and friendships with my teammates that, you know, just mean the world to me. You know, I, I'm just a kid from Rock Hill, South Carolina. You know, I, none of this stuff was guaranteed for me to have. So when I when I saw it was attainable, 
I didn't care what a scout would say or a fan would say or even what a coach would say. I just wanted to um, put my family in a situation where they can be able to be proud and, and, and not hurt for anything. And thank God it ended up happening that way. For sure. So I want to ask you, because you mentioned your late father, Tori, and I was reading up on this, and I remember when it happened, but you changed your last name from uh, Childers to Gurley uh, when your father passed in 2008. Just talk to me about that and just why that was so important for you to do. Um, yeah, it, it was it was extremely important for me to do because I, I started to look at my family and I noticed that, you know, I'm the oldest of three boys and, you know, it was something that I wanted to make sure I carried the legacy on, you know, regardless of how I felt about my father or the situation um, from him not being around as much. I, at the end of the day, that, that was my father. And, you know, it was an opportunity for me to, to, to right, it, right the wrongs. And, and that's what I did. And that's something that, you know, it, it was just a reality. It was like a reality check that I can be the one that, to, to break this curse in my family and, and, and to, and to show that hard work truly pays off. So when I did that, it really just gave me uh, a different mindset to continue to, to reach for the stars. No doubt. So, Tori, I, w- I want to talk about week two, your uh, first year at Carolina, or the first year you're playing at Carolina at Georgia. You get your first touchdown catch uh, from Steven Garcia. J- just kind of talk about, again, you're talking about showing that hard work pays off. And, again, it was a long road to get you to South Carolina and get you on the field and really get that first touchdown. But you get the first touchdown in Athens. You know, unfortunately, you guys don't win the game in what was a crazy back-and-forth game that I think a lot of South Carolina fans – I mean, I look back and say that was one that, you know, just just barely got away. But uh, you get your first touchdown catch either way. Just just talk about what it meant to you. And when you think about back on it now, I mean, I, I'm sure it holds a special place for you, especially coming in a place like Athens, Georgia, where it's just such a raucous SEC environment. You go on the road and get that first touchdown catch. Yeah, it meant the world to me because obviously um, I wanted to provide an opportunity for family to watch me, um, even if they couldn't physically be there. So my goal was to always make it to a school that played on ESPN and to be able to go out and score a touchdown between the hedges in Georgia. Um, I, I definitely remember the play like it was yesterday. And um, the week before, we called it again. Uh, no, we all week in practice. Uh, it was something that Steven and I, we had down to a science. And once we got down, once we were down to the red zone, uh, it was easy money. Uh, I think I had Brandon Boykin on me or Prince Miller. It was between one of those two cornerbacks. Uh, uh, and I just understood I'm bigger than this dude. So when I catch it, I just have to fall in the end zone. I didn't want to get stood up because they had a, a linebacker at the name of Rennie Curran that was, he was a ball hawk. And I didn't want to get stripped at the goal line. So, you know, I just I just use my football IQ to be able to catch the ball, dive in the end zone, and just being able to celebrate. And you know, I never forget uh, watching it, watching the TV version a couple of days later, and or, or checking my phone in the locker room uh, at halftime and just seeing like 500 text messages from people all over the world. Like, man, we see you. You you actually did it. You're the same person that um, you know when I worked at the Home Depot or when I was studying for the SAT, when everyone told me that I wasn't going to uh, be able to, to become eligible to play football, I, you know, I, I told everyone, I'm going to make this happen. And um, it was just something that had meant a lot to me. And I'm just thankful that, you know, it counted. And I wish we would have got the win. But from that day forward, we understood that we could play with the big boys. 
And you guys definitely did that. You fast forward two weeks, the 2009 Ole Miss game, Thursday night, number four team in the country. Uh, the late Jevin Sneed and his crew come into town, and you guys get the win. And the birth of Sandstorm, I mean, you can't tell the story of the 2009 season without mentioning that Ole Miss game. But just talk about that game, Tori. Obviously, you had a good game that day, four catches for 60 yards. And I believe you had a long catch in that one, too. But four catches for 60 mm -hmm. yards. Uh, just talk about that night. I mean, how special was that night? And, again, the birth of Sandstorm to get a huge win. I think it was the first win over a top-five team at Williams-Brice, the first in, like, 30 years or so. Uh, just talk about that night. It, that game was – it was very comfortable. Uh, guys were – we were so excited because we knew the lights were on. And we used to call those games money games. And the reason why we called them that, all the scouts would show up. And we understood. We go out and, and we play well. We're going to make money that night. And it was just to see guys on defense. Uh, they had the goon squad. And our receiving core was still young, but we were trying to figure out who we were. But – we knew when we were led by Steven Garcia, everything else was going to fall into place. And um, it, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, the, the environment was unbelievable. Uh, I, when I, I remember hearing Sandstorm and seeing, like, the towels just being waved in the air, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool here. And, you know, I caught myself watching the fans instead of actually paying attention to the game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it felt great to get the win. And from there, I, the – Game cognition really took Sandstorm to another level. <laughs> no doubt. So you, you mentioned Stephen Garcia. I wanted to bring him up as well because I think it's interesting, Tori. You know, you you got on campus in 2008, so you really saw kind of the the beginning of when Stephen Garcia. You know, Spurrier was still going very back and forth. I mean, Tommy Beecher started Game One in 2008. Oh, yeah. I remember being at the Arkansas game in 2008 when Spurrier literally rotated uh, Steven Garcia and Chris Smelly out every single play of that game. Um, but just talk about, you know, Steven Garcia as a teammate, the energy he inserted in you guys, because obviously I think you could, you'd agree it was just a completely different team and it had a different feeling when Steven Garcia was in the game. But just, just talk about that and then what he was like as a teammate, what he meant to you guys, obviously, in 2009 and then 2010 when you win the East. Uh, what I learned from Steven was to be confident and to and have a lot of swagger. Um, the, the way he would interact with Coach Spurrier, Spurrier really, from the outside looking in, Spurrier looks like someone that you can't debate with or have a conversation. Um, you, you automatically just assume that everything he says is right and is golden. And Steven was one of those guys that would challenge Coach Spurrier. He's like, Coach, I don't like that throw or I don't like this play. And when I saw that from Steven having, Steven having that dialogue with Coach, I started having the same type of dialogue as well. And we start working together. And from there, that's when our team really began to blossom because everyone was able to have conversations with one another. Um, it, can be, it's, it was very intimidating for me to say anything to Coach Spurrier. You know, I was just excited to be around him. But once I figured out that, hey, we are coworkers, you know, we're, when we lose – the fans are going to be all over you, and you're going to jump down our throat at practice. So let's interact with each other, figure out how we can make this team better. And from there, coaches really opened up. I mean, we started having conversations about life. Um, he was talking about, you know, if you're going to drink alcohol, make sure you do it responsibly. Like, we really dove into mm. how Coach Spurrier was when he was an 18-year-old kid. And from there, that's why I've always had the utmost respect for him because. You know, he didn't seem like someone that was just a football guy. He was a 
he was our coach that we really could just have conversations with. And that's when you really notice, like, guys were just playing freely. You know, we weren't thinking. We were going out and playing fast. And that's something that I really learned a lot from Steven Garcia was just being who you are. Did, did you ever get any jawing matches with Spurrier? Did he ever rip you when you first got there? Because, I mean, obviously, we, I've had a ton of guys on that played oh, for Spurrier, yeah. and the stories are just outstanding, to be honest. Yeah, um, there was a, oh, here's a good story. So we're playing Vanderbilt, and uh, co- Coach is notorious for rotating players. And we went out and got Alshon Jeffrey, and everyone – was excited because Alshon went from, you know, being flipped from Southern Cal to playing football at South Carolina. And uh, the entire week, uh, Coach was trying – I think the week before, Alshon had three touchdowns against Kentucky. And you would think Coach Spurrier would have Alshon and I playing at the same time. But he, you know, he was very loyal to the senior receiver, Mo Brown. So he did not uh, – he didn't put – he didn't allow me to challenge Mo to play in a slot. So he was like, well, since Tory is young and Alshon is young, we're going to rotate. And playing Vanderbilt and the ball is on our one-yard line and we have to go 99 yards to win the game. You know, I think we were down four points. And we had a TV timeout. And Coach Spurrier, I, I, I hear the play come in from the headset with Coach Spurrier Jr. He was like, let's call a non-semi. And non-semi is a go route. And Steven Garcia and myself would stay after every practice and always hit go routes. But it wasn't my time to go in and go play. So I'm looking at Alshon, and I see him bend down. I was like, hey, Alshon, uh, I think I said, like, his shoe's untied or something like that. And he looked down, and I ran in the game. And I knew Coach wasn't going to call another timeout because we were literally just coming from a timeout. So I can see him screaming and yelling, like, from the other side of the field. But thank God we're in the back of the end zone. And uh, Steven gets on the center. He goes play action. I run the nine semi. I catch, it, I catch it one hand, and I get to the sideline. And he is cussing me out while Alshon is scoring a touchdown on the next play. He was like, what the F are you doing? We didn't tell you to be in the game. You that's messed up. You tell him his shoes were untied. I was like, hey, coach, I just wanted to make a play. <laughs> and, <laughs> and from there, you know, that's where, uh, you know, we had that type of relationship. And looking back at it now, I was like, wow, I can't believe I had the, the metal to, to go against the grain. But, you know, I, I, I truly believe that much in myself that, you know, however I could help the team, that's what I wanted to do. And I, I knew I was going to make that play. And it's just ironic that Coach didn't even watch Alshon score the next play because he was cussing me out the entire time. So if, <laughs> yes. if anyone find it, if anyone find that television version version of the game, you'll see it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to go look up that. I was gonna say it's a, it's a good thing you caught it. I'll just say that because uh, you probably oh, yeah. would have never heard the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I never would. You probably would have maybe transferred schools. So. <laughs> um, it literally, we were down four points. It was a. It was a drive. We had to have that drive to score. I think it was like one of the last drives of the game. And, you know, Vandy always comes to Columbia and give us a hard time. And uh, they had a guy, I think he was the second round draft pick to the Bucks. He was a defensive back. I can't think of his name, but he wore number five. And I just remember, I was like, I got to catch this ball. And when the ball was in the air, everything was in slow mo. And just when I was, extending both arms he grabs my right arm and I catch it with my left hand 
and, and the rest is history. But yeah, coach really, he lit into me after that. But I told him, I was like, Hey coach, I, I caught the damn ball. And he was like, you're right. <laughs> so, um, and, and from there, uh, the following year, he put me in a slot and that's where bully ball was. That's when bully ball was, uh, established. And that was something that we really took pride in was mauling defensive backs and linebackers. <laughs> no doubt. So I, I wanted to ask you about as well. Uh, you're a kid, obviously local kid in state, uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, the South Carolina Clemson rivalry, you're no stranger to it. You went 2-0 against the Tigers. You started the five-game winning streak, broke the streak against the Tigers that you guys or Clemson had had. I think it was, what, a two-game winning streak. And you were the – you know, started that five-game winning streak in 09 and then beat those guys in 2010. You caught a touchdown in that 2009 game. Just talk about what that rivalry – you know, what it meant to you then as a player, what it means to you now, and how sweet it was to not only get the two wins that you got against Clemson, but – you know, after you leave, to see the streak continue and go to five straight wins, I know it had to be really sweet to watch your guys uh, do work against Clemson. Yeah, my that first year, I guess my redshirt freshman year when we played Clemson at home, um, I I understood how big the rivalry was, but you really don't get it until you're actually there playing in a game. And I remember running out of the tunnel to 2001, my knees got weak. And I went to the sideline. I couldn't stand up. You know, I was just, I was just blown away by the the, the sea of garnet. It was like, I, I just remember seeing like all this garnet everywhere, and right there on the right side of the field, the opposite side of of the sideline, you would see a little a slim uh, line of orange, and that that would be the Clemson people. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is the real deal right here. Like it, this is for all the marbles. And when we went out on the field, we just understood. We was like, hey, this is our team. This is this is our state, and we're going to – this is ours. You you can't take this from us. And when uh, – I think C.J. Spiller or – yeah, I think it was Spiller with the kickoff return. We didn't panic about that. You know, we kicked it off to him, and he scored both times. Um, we understood. We are like, we, we have a better football team. These guys were scared of us. And it showed. When we went out and played and the things we put on tape the week before – those guys from Clemson really wanted no parts of us. And that was something that we were able to do was impose our will on those players. I mean, I, there were guys that, that played defensive back. They would literally run from us. And we were calling them everything but a child of God when we caught the ball. Like we were just trying to – we were just in a fist fight out there. And um, that was just that attitude and that swagger that uh, I think most Gamecock fans fell in love with because it was it was more of a, of a street fight. and. And we were winning the football game, and that's what made us uh, a very physical team. How, how mental, Tori, do you think the rivalry is? Because I mean, obviously the team with – I mean, you have to have talent to win games. And, like, you look at – I'm thinking you look at the games right now, like Clemson to South Carolina. Clemson obviously has far superior talent right now. But I feel like the rivalry, too, it's so mental because it's – you can just tell when the two teams play who has the mental edge and who doesn't, in a sense. Like you're saying, like, I mean, you guys smacked around Clemson in 2009 and 2010, and as it got, as it got farther in that streak, you could just see things happening that you're like, this is a mentality thing. Like, this is a thing where I remember being at the 2013 game thinking to myself, I didn't care what happened or what Clemson did because I just knew South Carolina was going to win. You just knew they were going to find a way to win. I mean, how, how, how much of the rivalry do you think is, is like, a mental thing? I think it's I think it's ninety five percent mental. 
because you you during the year you check on each other, you watch games and and you understand like okay, we have to see him at the end of the year. And when we went out and beat Alabama and beat Georgia and beat Florida, Clemson knew like man we can't do anything. We're not nowhere near the talent of those teams they've already beaten. So they're going to come in here and they're going to try to do the same to us. And that's where you, you really see the mental side. Like there are times where, um, you know, I was watching Jadavian Clowney play uh, when I was in the NFL and a guy from Clemson just didn't want to block him. You know, they were just scared of him. Or there are times when uh, guys didn't want to tackle Marcus because they just watched how he was running through, uh, Bama or Georgia, and when it was time to play Clemson, they they really got it. They weren't about that life, you know. They mm-hmm. they really didn't want any. They didn't want the smoke, and that was just something that we really took pride in. And um, uh, someone that doesn't get enough credit, but if you talk to any player from starter to walk on, there was a particular coach that gave us that edge, and that that coach was Craig Fitzgerald. Uh, he was our strength and conditioning coach. And he was a guy that Coach Spurrier was scared of him. You talk to anybody that's in that – you talk to anyone in that locker room, there have been times where Coach will call up practice. Like, we'll go up to Coach Garcia or myself or uh, Melvin Ingram or whoever. Like, hey, Coach, we're tired. Let's go on and call it up and we can go inside. Coach Fitz uh, will stop practice and say, oh, hell no. We're going to go out here. We're running 20 gases. And you guys are going to power clean and squat. We were still doing this stuff during the season. We were doing all-season workouts in season. And that's why we were able to go out and to just beat up on people because we had that mental edge. So anyone that that was a part of that, you talk to any player and you you bring up the name Dominators or you bring up the name Craig Fitzgerald, and that's why we were the goon squad because we were able to to run and lift like, like our lives depended on it, and that's how we went out and played. No doubt. So that 2010 season, tour. I want to jump to that. Uh, obviously, we know how it ended up, but I want to go back to the beginning of it because you guys come out, you take care of business against Southern Miss. Uh, obviously, in 2010, you add Marcus Lattimore, true freshman running back at that time. We obviously know what he did after that. I mean, you know, arguably the greatest running back in school history. And I remember being at that Southern Miss game in 2010 when he scored his first career touchdown. I turned to my dad and said, I don't think that's going to be the last one of his career. And certainly it wasn't. But that 2010 season, you guys had pieces. You had Gilmore and Alshon from the year before. You had yourself. You had Garcia. You had the Goon Squad defense. You add Marcus Lattimore. What was the point for you guys, or for you specifically, when you thought to yourself, this could be a really, really special season, even beyond like what's normally been considered special around here, which was you know getting seven, eight wins, beating Clemson, whatever. You're thinking this could be a really special season, and we've got a chance to contend for the SEC title um, when did that moment click for you? I mean, was it in preseason? Was it after week one? Was it after Georgia? I know obviously probably Bama. That's when it really sunk in that you guys were in the mix of it. But when did it click for you? Like tw- that 2010 season could be really, really special. Practice. <laughs> Training camp. Um, that's, the, that's where the legend of Marcus Lattimore, um, you know, came to life. And what I mean by that, uh, we we would go good on good. So it was one versus one. Coach really didn't – we had so much depth on our team that, you know, coaches wanted to see how we looked. And there would be days in practice where we light the defense up, and there would be days the defense would not give up a first down. Like, we, it was so competitive. And I'll never forget, like, Lorenzo Ward or Coach Spurrier. 
everyone was so competitive with one another. Like it, um, it was, it was one of those things like every drill, anytime we walked in the building, whatever it was, when, if it was offense versus defense or any type of special teams drill we had with Shane Beamer, it was good on good. And um, there was a particular situation where we were scrimmaging and we were doing an inside drill and it, it was goal line to be exact. So it was only run fits. And uh, I think the starting running back at the time was Brian Maddox. And we really wanted to see what Marcus Lattimore was about. So Coach Spurrier put Marcus in with the one because Marcus started out as a, he was on, he was a, you know, second, believe it or not, Marcus Lattimore was on the second team, third team. He was a scout team guy. Yes, I, I saw it. So we put him in. And it's DJ Swearinger, Melvin Ingram, Trayvon Robertson, Mike Adjaboy, uh, Cliff Matthews, Rodney Polk, um, Chris Culver. Like, it's, we're out here. We had to get a yard. We had, we're working on two-point conversions. And I'll never forget, we put Marcus at running back, and we ran a, we ran a power play to the left. And there was, a, there, was a, there was a hole, but it was probably about the size of a, of a – about 12 inches is probably about the size of a ruler. And I'm thinking to myself, I was like, there is no way Marcus is going to get in this hole and, and face DJ Swearinger. Cause at the time DJ was, he was making a name for himself with knocking guys out in practice. So Marcus and DJ meet in the hole heads up. And I swear it sounded like a car wreck on George <laughs> Rogers Boulevard. Wham. And I'm thinking to myself, man, Marcus is dead. And, He's probably not going to play football. So I, I look, Marcus is on top of DJ in the end zone. And as a team, we went crazy. And we're thinking to ourselves, this is not the average 18-year-old kid because we were watching DJ. You know, DJ was he – was, he really was, like, knocking guys out. So to watch that happen live with Devontae Holloman and Stefan and, and DJ all out there playing safety, and, and to see that we had that type of competitive practice, from there we were like, we're good. The game, the games were easy. The, even when we played Alabama, that game wasn't hard because the way we would uh, compete in practice, it, it, it truly, our practices were harder than most games. The only thing that really caught us off, off guard was when we went to Atlanta and we played Cam Newton because obviously when we played him the first time and uh, – at, at Auburn, we were up 21-7, to seven and they came back and beat us. But it was one of those things that, you know, Cam turned into Superman along the year. You know, once he was playing with that confidence and that swagger of being one of the greatest college football quarterbacks of, of all time, it doesn't matter what defense you have out there. That guy, he was just that special. But um, we we knew that. And there, there was things that we somewhat took for granted. Like, we were young, and we didn't understand how to handle success. Because all this was new to us. In 2010, we were the first to experience everything. Like, we went out, we beat Alabama, and then the following week, we lose to Kentucky. And people were like, man, how did you lose to Kentucky? Well, imagine being 19 years old, walking around on campus and getting a standing ovation in every building you walk in. Or you go to a restaurant and, you know, you don't have to worry about paying a tab because somebody already took care of the tab. Or walking around and having an ESPN truck following you with, with the cameras and signing autographs. We didn't know how to handle that. All that was like it was new to us. So um, once we was able to take take things and put it in stride, that's when we realized, like, all right, we Gamecock football is here. We're 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 amongst the best. 
So you, you weren't surprised at all when you saw Marcus Lattimore break like 50 tackles against Georgia week two. I guess that was expected. No, <laughs> no, no, no one was surprised because we <laughs> literally, we saw that every day in practice. I watched the offense. Just think about the depth we had. We had over 40 guys to have an opportunity to play in the NFL from 2010. You have like 85 guys on scholarship and I can count 40 players that had an opportunity to play in the NFL. Mm. That's unheard of. Like, it, you, you go back and watch that 2010 Alabama game, and you, you re- hear all the names. You're like, yeah, he played in the NFL. He played in the yeah. NFL. Like, we don't even talk about Patrick DeMarco. Like, Patrick DeMarco was – he was our he was our tight end player. and fullback. Yeah. I mean, he was our fullback. We had guys like that who were – who's been in the NFL for 10 years. You know, it, just, it, it was unreal. Spencer Landing, our kicker, punter, it's just – you start naming all the names, it's like, wow. Like, really? You know, everyone in the secondary played in the NFL, I believe. Anyone that started, um, same with receivers. It, it was just – that's unheard of to have that much talent on one team. For sure. So, I know normally we would talk about the Alabama game in detail, but we just had Alabama week. I know you've been asked about it a million times and your recollections of the Alabama week. So, the game that I more so want to talk about, Tori, is later in the season – the game at Florida, you know, you guys go into that one. That one's the winner. Whoever wins that one's going to Atlanta. You need it to clinch the SEC East. It's funny because it starts the same way the 2009 Clemson game did with uh, – forget the guy's name, but the speedster for Florida. Yeah, take, the, the, the boy. The boy. Yeah, the D-U-B-O – yeah. Something yeah, the yeah. Boy. So he, he, he takes it all the way back yeah. for a touchdown. The swamp's going crazy. Was it a similar feeling as 09 Clemson where you guys were like, hey, no big deal, brush it off, we're about to win this game? Because, I mean, obviously we all know what happened. You guys, I mean, really it was a blowout. I mean, a domination of Florida. But was it a similar feeling as 09 Clemson where it was just kind of like, you know what, brush it off, whatever, we're fine? Or Because, I, I, you know, I've heard stories that I, I wasn't at the game. I heard the swamp was going absolutely insane when he took that kickback. I mean, what were the emotions like, I guess, going in that game and after he took that kickback for a touchdown? We knew we were going to win. Uh, I have I have video footage of us in a walkthrough uh, hours before the game talking about how we were going to go out and dismantle Florida. And uh, the, the reason why I've never posted it, because there is some explicit language that <laughs> I don't think uh, the University of South Carolina or, you know, the NCAA might uh, approve of. But everyone who I recorded, we all said the same thing. It was like, these guys can't play with us. We we knew we were on a mission. Um, it was a business trip. When they went out and and had a kickoff return, we were like, we have Alshon at receiver. We have Marcus at, at quarterback. We have, I mean, we have Marcus at running back. We have Garcia. We have myself. These guys can't match up with us. And we really just, we took it to them. It was one of those games. It was physical in the first quarter. And once coach got into his groove, and, and found – because they came out and, and gave us some looks that we weren't expecting to see. And once we made some adjustments, I think we end up scoring – we end up kicking a field goal before the half mm-hmm. and uh, – before halftime. And we, I was able to make some plays during that, uh, that two-minute drill. We kicked the field goal, and I think it was Spencer Lanning's one of his longest kicks, like it, it, with, with no time left. And from there, we were like, okay, this is what, what we saw. Like, we, I remember being in the locker room with Spurrier and, and Alshon and coaches like, what do you see? And I was telling them, I was like, hey, Will Hill, is, he's cheating here. We can do this. And coach was like, well, how you feel about running the ball? Like, Hill, give it to Marcus. Like, we're, we'll be okay with it. And from there, 
we just kept pounding them with the run and they couldn't stop it. And that's where Garcia was able to have one-on-one on the outside with myself or Alshon. And it was, it was easy from there. Like we, we really didn't sweat it because we just, we understood that we had more talent than them. Yeah, I think one of my most vivid memories from that game, Tori, was uh, – I forget after which touchdown it was after, but it's when you guys are all celebrating the end zone. You just see you come up doing the gator chomp. I think at that point you guys knew you had, uh, you, you had solidified the victory at that point. <laughs> I know you were doing it. I think Marcus was doing it. Everybody was doing the gator chomp. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was so funny to – you know, I still have that picture of because that was Urban Myers. I think that was one of his last years at Florida. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just remember talking so much trash to him. And those guys uh, – it, it was just a fun game. It, it, it was It was one of those situations where – when you sit back and watch it, we're like, man, we was able to clinch the the SEC East title at Florida for Coach Spurrier. And, you know, during the week, he was very open about it. He was like, we want to go down there and, and kick their butt. You know, he it was personal. Like, we, we wanted to go out and make that happen for him. But um, there was never a time where we where we were afraid of, of losing. Like, we knew we, we were we were good. But um, the, the situation that really hurt us was, uh, go back to the SEC championship game, the way we got beat in the SEC championship game, it's, it's, it gets, it really doesn't get any better than winning a SEC championship. The next thing, the, the next thing that you can go from there is winning a national championship. And we all thought that if we went out and won, that we'll be playing in the Sugar Bowl. And because that was, that was the next game for us. Like we would have been able to, I think it, it was still BCS back then, but they, they had us projected being sugar. And it, the environment for the SEC championship is unreal. Like, it's, it's almost like Super Bowl. You know, it's, it, it is up there. Like, I, I've been to both. I've been to Super Bowl. I've been the SEC championship and national championships. Like, they are – it's the, the creme de la creme. And, you know, the way we were beat, um, a lot of guys just – we just shut it down after that because we end up finding – we found out uh, with the bowl uh, with the bowl shows that we were coming back to Atlanta. And when we came down there, it did not feel the same. Like, we really – we used that as a field trip. You know, and I speak for a lot of players. Like, it was, it was one of those things guys were just not focused. You know, we were like, damn, we had a chance to be in the Sugar Bowl and – um, it, it just wasn't the same. I know the fans were excited because it was a, a easier drive. It was three hours for them to, to get back to Atlanta. But for us, that same hotel we stayed at, it just it wasn't the same. The, the stadium wasn't – it was January 1st, and guys were just uh, – had their own agendas. You know, some guy, you know, I was out there playing uh, not to get hurt. You know, I, was, I already knew. I was like, I, I'll talk to Coach. Uh, before the game, I was like, Coach, I'm not coming back to school. I'm gone. And uh, there were some other players that, you know, that left early or was thinking about leaving. And uh, it just it just sucks that, you know, that was one of – that was my last game as a game cop because uh, looking back at it, uh, with me maturing and, and seeing things for what it is, I wish I would have stayed for my junior year because that right there would have been – uh, the icing on top. I think we easily could have ran the table because we understood what it what it took to win. Mm-hmm. And you know that was they still had a phenomenal season. Like I think they won eleven games, but mm-hmm. there were some games that uh, I think they lost to Auburn that year. But there were some little yeah. things when I was in Green Bay and I was watching. I was like, dang, that's you know just the the intangibles that you that does not show up on a stat sheet 
but just being in the locker room and being able to pull guys through, you know, that's how it happens. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was just a business. You know, I made a business decision and, and, and that's what Coach Spurrier was doing as well because uh, he went out and recruited a lot of talent, a lot of guys. And, and with that being said, when you have so many players that uh, are talented, they want to get on the field. And a lot of people didn't notice this, but whenever a player like a guy like Ace Sanders or Lamar Scruggs or Demario Bennett, I was the one getting yanked out of the game for them to go in and go play. You know, coach didn't want to – obviously you can't take Alshon out because he was the All-American. But, you know, I, I felt like I was the guy that was always getting picked on. And that, those were the things that were happening between the lines where I realized, like, I got to make a, the best decision for me because coach is still getting these four- and five-star guys, and he has no problem taking me out of the game no matter how well I play. And, you know, I was one of those guys that, you know, my last year at South Carolina, the ball did not touch the ground. You know, you can go watch all 12 games and you'll see the ball. I caught every pass, you know, 44 consecutive catches. I think uh, Shaw Smith might have rivaled that, but I don't believe it. I, I saw him drop a ball that year. But you go back and you go watch my film, the ball didn't touch the ground. And, and to, to have my playing time being, uh, I guess, uh, kind of toyed with or uh, in balance, it, you know, that scared me because I, I just wanted to play in the NFL. And when I saw that my draft grade was a mid-round grade, that was the decision I made because I, I understood. I was like, man, this this machine is rolling. Like, this puppy is rolling. And, and from there, we already knew that the following year, uh, Alshon and, and Stefan and, uh, and you know, all the other guys were going to leave. So it was, it was something that it was already planned and talked amongst each and every player. Yeah, not to backtrack too far. I did read that, though. You didn't drop a single ball in 2010. And also, you had a 14-catch game against Vanderbilt, which tied a school record. I, I had forgot about that. I read that earlier. I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. you, you bring up a good point, you know, talk because, you know, everybody has their opinions on, you know, what they think people should do. But you already talked about your family situation. And when until you're in that situation, until you're in somebody else's shoes, you really don't have any idea – I know you already touched on it, but the decision to leave early, um, you know, again, everybody's kind of – everybody's got their opinions on it. I know some people were critical of you for leaving in the moment and even have been critical of you lately, just bringing it up for whatever reason. But, I mean, for you, it sounds like it was definitely more of a family decision, doing what was best for you personally and for your family than, I mean, anything else, you know, it would be involved. Yeah. Yeah, and it was something that I stood by. Now, I wish I would have um, listened. There were, there were people that did tell me, hey, I, we think you should stay in school. But the problem I had was with Coach Spurrier is that the talent he kept bringing in, there weren't enough spots for people to go out and play. And I, I never wanted to come out of the game. I was like, Coach, I, I never should come out. Um, whatever you ask me to do, I go above and beyond. And – on top of that, if we, like if we had a grading scale from zero to 100, for the most part, I was grading in, in the upper 90 percentile of every game. And, um, you know, when, when I noticed, like, okay, the business of college football where, you know, if I go out and promise this five-star that he's going to get the first carry of the football game, that means somebody is not going to be in there. Like, some, you know, there's only 11 people on the field, and that really just scared me because that's when I, I was like, if I get hurt, you know, who's going to take care of me? And, you know, this was, uh, you know, I was thinking long-term. I was like, at least I can always come back to college and get my degree. 
And that's something that uh, I was able to do back in 2017. I was like, you know what? Every year while I'm in the NFL, I'm going to take one class, if it's online or in person. And I literally did it for six years. And when I, I think the most gratifying feeling was being able to walk across the stage and say that I'm a, a college graduate because I went through so much. Like I, I caught so much hell, um, kind of bounced from different team, you know, from team to team, um, suffered injuries. It was so much going on to to have that college degree on my wall and uh, and and to be a vested NFL veteran, receiving you know lifetime ben- receiving benefits from that, as well as the salary I was paid. I mean, it's, I've set myself up for life where, you know, I have the flexibility to do whatever I want to do, and that's how I was able to pursue a television career. So, um, you know, if I can go back and do it again, maybe I would have stayed just so I would have got my name called. But, you know, I, I truly I, – I just saw the writing on the wall. And I, I think that happens to a lot of players where um, I, when you're not highly recruited, you're one of the guys that could easily be replaced. Right. You know, where without people causing so much, uh, you know, havoc or fuss about. Even though I was, I was loved by the fans, but when when Ace would come in, people would go crazy for him just because he was a, a a different dynamic player or whoever it was, you know. And you know, but you can't, you know, you got to leave the All Americans in. You can't touch them at all. And, and that's just that's just how it works. So you know, with with the guys that are playing now, um, you know, I tell them make sure you work hard and and you know. I, I, I left it all on the field where I had nothing to worry about regardless of um, with me getting my name called or being undrafted. I knew I put myself in the best position to to make a career playing football, and I did. So, Tori, you were a guy your professional career. You know, obviously you already mentioned you're vested in the NFL, had a successful NFL career, played for a bunch of teams, also played in the CFL for three different teams. When you look back on your professional football career as a whole – What's the biggest thing you take away from it? Um, understanding that you can you can you can work through anything. Um, you know, I, when when I went to Green Bay, it was during the NFL lockout, so there was I had no OTAs and two weeks of training camp, and I was able to make a fifty three man roster then, and that's when I realized okay, I, th- this is for me because I've seen a lot of guys who are bigger, stronger, and faster and not make it or who had bigger names who came in from the Alabamas and Ohio States. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to outwork that guy. And I did. And it's just unreal to to look back and reflect on it. Like, you know, it, it was just all willpower. Like, that's what it was. And I, and I thank God and I thank my family for supporting me and you know, you can do what literally you can do whatever you put your mind to because I was watching Aaron Rodgers uh, as a as a freshman in college after I had knee surgery, go out and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in a Super Bowl, and I was thinking to myself, man, it'd be great to catch passes from Aaron. And literally, you know, you fast forward two years, I led the Packers in and receptions in the preseason back in 2011 over Greg Jennings. Jordy Nelson and Donald Dropper. You know, not too many people can say that. And I start, and I was part, I was with the starting lineup. It's not like I was out there only with the reserves. Like, I was in the game with Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, I, it, it felt great, and it just – it was a testament to, you know, hard work truly does pay off. So, Tori, your career after football has been very successful as well. I know that you've, you've been, made some uh, appearances on SEC Network. You've worked with NFL Network. 
now you're with Fox Sports. What, what kind of drove the, uh, the desire to be sort of a media figure, if you will? Because I feel like you've, you've made yourself, you know, obviously a media figure, again, with your employer, but also you're well-known, you know, amongst Gamecock fans and in the Gamecock world. I mean, where did I, is that something you always wanted to do, or did you just see the opportunity when you were in the league and decided to pursue it? Yeah, I saw the opportunity in the league. Uh, I noticed uh, the league was getting younger and I was getting older, and I, I needed to find something that um, could help me transition. And I started reflecting, and I saw that, okay, my name isn't big enough to to be on Monday night football or, or Sunday night football, but I realized the SEC is probably the second biggest you know, football league in the world where people, millions of viewers are going to tune in and watch the games every Saturday. And the more I, I dove into it, I was like, South Carolina has never, they've only had one media player in the past 20 years to, to, to actually be on a national level. And that was Sterling Sharp. He was with NFL Network. But Sterling was somewhat so far removed from South Carolina that uh, people really wasn't, putting him in South Carolina in the same sentence. Like, they knew he played there, but he did so much stuff in the NFL, it was kind of like, okay, that's Sterling, the NFL guy. So I looked at it for as an opportunity for me to, to be a voice for Gamecock football. And, you know, one of the first people that I really got close with is uh, CBS uh, broadcaster James Brown. And the, what James Brown told me and Rob Parker of Fox Sports, Fox Sports, um, they mentor me, and the first thing they said, it was like, Tor, you got to be brutally honest. They're like, the problem with most former players when you get them here is that they still feel like they are uh, in the locker room with their teammates or with their former employer. You're not. You know, you who writes your check is CBS or Fox. Like, you're not employed by that pro – you're not on scholarship, and you're not employed by that NFL team anymore. So – um, you just got to be honest. You got to call it like you see it. And from there, I was kind of – I was skeptical about it, and then I started watching different guys on TV, and you would see how certain players get uncomfortable when their former team started to struggle, and they just use different words or they just say things that really doesn't make any sense. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I've always been a stand-up guy. I've always been honest, and that's what I'm going to do on television. I'm just going to be brutally honest. And, and from there uh, – you know, I, I truly believe in – I still believe in South Carolina football. Um, last year I went out and guaranteed on the Paul Feinbaum show that South Carolina would beat Georgia. And the reason why is because I was around the players every day. Like, I, I saw the work they put in. I was around Coach Muschamp. And in, any and everyone in the, on the team and in the program, I was there. And I just knew, like, okay, if we're playing them earlier in the season – we got Devo back. He's healthy. You know, this is Jake's third year. You know, I like our chances at us being at home. So that was something that I was on television and I was comfortable with doing. But obviously, you know, fate what has that, you know, South Carolina end up losing that game. But that was something that I realized on the spot. Like, you know what? You know, you got to be careful about bold predictions. You know, make sure you, you do your homework and 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 you, you got to facts over feelings. You know, that, that's what I always say, facts over feelings. So um, from there, you know, I, I saw that I was around the team again this past year, and I noticed the way they were practicing and, and, they, and the way they were doing things. And I was like, this is not going to be a good football team. And, um, you know, I just kind of – I saw the writing on the wall, and 
you know, I received a lot of backlash or, or heat for being honest, but, um, you know, it was, it was just something I saw. I know what it's like when South Carolina is running at an elite level. I've been in the building and I understand what it takes and I just didn't see it. And from there, um, you know, I'm just hoping those guys could get it back together because if so, I can talk about how they was able to fix it. But right now, you know, I can only – the only thing I can talk about is the way they play. And I can't sit there and put lipstick on a pig. You know, that's just – that's not right. That's not journalism. You know, I'm a journalist. I'm not a, I'm not a player anymore. I got to be – you know, I'm honest. So, if it ruffles some fans' feathers, it's okay. Because they're usually saying the same thing behind closed doors anyway. I'm just open enough to, to say it. No question. So, that's what I want to move into and talk current – you know, current day Gamecocks football – uh, it is Kentucky week, South Carolina facing Kentucky. And it's funny, you know, you and I, have, again, we both had bold takes or had takes and received backlash. And, again, that's just kind of part of the business. And just when you give opinions, you give strong opinions, that's sort of what happens. But the reality is right now, like you said, facts over feelings. The fact is this team is one in three right now. Again, it's Kentucky week. Gamecocks taking on the Wildcats 730 Saturday night at Williams-Brice Stadium. You know, when you look at this team, Tori, and, again, I know you, you know, we – each of us do analysis after each game. And, uh, you know, the Gamecocks obviously starting the season off very on a very rough note, losing to UNC in the opener, which has been sort of a domino effect, it felt like. I mean, you throw out the Charleston Southern game and you've lost like 24 to Alabama and you go on the road and look pitiful against Missouri. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about Will Muschamp, his job status. You know, he's in year four. Again, you're starting the season off one and three. You have a five-game losing streak to Kentucky. You know, how when you look at this game specifically i mean just how important is this game in your mind for not just this 2019 season because i think at this point i think we could probably both agree it's going to be very very hard to make a bowl game i mean just in reality it's going to be very tough to make a bowl game with the schedule you have on the back end but for the future of the program and the future of will muschamp with this program i mean how important how pivotal is that game saturday at williams bryce I think it's very vital just for the sake of the locker room. Um, something uh, something I was thinking about as I was watching the Missouri game, I was like, this is where you need real leadership. You need guys to be able to, um, despite things going bad or going south, to be able to hold guys accountable and to keep them in a positive mindset because if not, the guys are going to start having their own individual agendas where, um, you know, I, we saw their, their, I think Jam decided, okay, I don't want to play football anymore here, and it's the fourth game of the year, I'm going to redshirt. And these are conversations that players have with their families and they have with their high school coach because a lot of guys go to college to make it to the NFL. You know, that's like their ultimate goal is to get a degree but also have opportunity to, to make some money playing football because it's, it's kind of hard to say, oh, I'm playing football because I love it. You love it, but you also want to get paid for doing it because mm. you're putting in a lot of time and a lot of hours and you're making a lot of sacrifices and you want to see that reward at the end of the day. And now, um, you know, with that being said, when you start losing, guys are going to look after themselves if you don't have the right locker room. And no matter what a coach can say, a coach can yell at you, he can curse you out. He can do all this stuff. At once a player decides, like, hey, man, this stuff isn't working, the locker room is lost. And that's when you really see guys just not having that same effort or playing with that same passion. And it's scary because 
you know, it starts now and it's only going to snowball into the rest of the year. And I just hope that these young men, uh, whatever decisions they make, I hope they continue to do the right thing. And what I mean by that is that continue to go to class. You know, I've had teammates where, you know, when my first year at South Carolina when we were, I think, like six and six or whatever, guys stopped going to class and they were academically ineligible to play in bowl games. And that ultimately kept them from playing in the NFL because they didn't get to play in a bowl game because they were like, they stopped showing up to class. Now, when we were winning and, you know, getting ready to go to Atlanta and play an SEC championship game, everybody's in class because they understood, like, man, I do not want to miss out on this. And you, you, you'll start seeing guys um, doing their own thing, and that's scary. And, and, and that's, that's hard. I don't care who you have at coach. Uh, when you lose the locker room, that could, you can never get it back. And I just hope that, you know, uh, whoever are the leaders and the alpha males there, to be able to keep everyone composed and continue to work. Because uh, that right there, could, that can save it. Because if not, it could, it could be a long season for the home team. No doubt. I, right before I let you go, Tori, I got one last question for you. I, I want to give you the opportunity to speak to because, you know, we can all have our opinions, but at the end of the day, you know, me, I'm just a guy, but you are a former player. You wore the garnet and black. You, you made the sacrifices. You, you gave the blood, sweat, and tears. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer, Tori, again, you're, you're in media. You're a journalist, like you say. I'm a big believer that just because you have a certain opinion, it doesn't dictate your characters, who you are as a person. You know, a sports take is a sports take. You know what I mean? That just is what it is. It's not good, bad, or indifferent. It just is what it is. But there have been, obviously, Gamecock social media and Gamecock fans are, you know, this is a very interesting time right now in the South Carolina world with, again, the, with the record being what it is, and there's a lot of talk about the head coaching position and stuff like that. I mean, what would your message be to South Carolina fans that maybe, you know, feel some sort of way about you or just because of the takes you've had on the team or the coaching or whatever, like what would your message be to them? Not so much Tory Gurley, the journalist, but Tory Gurley, the Gamecock. Uh, my message to them is, first of all, I thank you for all your support. You know, I'm a, I'll tell a quick story. Um, back when we weren't good, when we were a six and six football team, uh, there were guys that were leaders on our team that would, you know, we would get involved and do extracurricular activities, a.k.a. the nightlife, hang out in five points or whatever. And um, Coach Spurrier and Coach Craig Fitzgerald told us, they're like, hey, if we catch you guys out at the club, you're going to have to, you know, pay the consequences and repercussions of it. And we didn't think anything. Uh, we were like, this guy, is, he's full of it. So, you know, we go out and we drink and we have a good time. And uh, we, we go out to a certain club. And before we walk in, we, we noticed things just didn't feel right. So we walk in and we start to notice that guys are, are slowly just leaving out one by one. And it was our strength coach, uh, Coach Fitzgerald, and he called us. And um, they put us – he told us to come back to the stadium. It was like three-something in the morning, four in the morning. And we're, we're driving back. And obviously, some guys are under the influence because we were young guys and really didn't know what we were doing, just being kids. And, you know, Coach, it was like, I told you guys about drinking. I told you guys about um, not taking pride in being a game cop. So, you guys got to pay the consequence. So, he had on all the lights in the stadium. And when I mean Coach ran us, he ran our tongues out of our mouth. Like, he tried to punish us. Like, it, it was one of those things. I, I truly thought I was going to die on the football field. 
And I'll never forget when it was over with, after he, you know, had us doing up downs and push ups and sprints and gassers and because we still had to work out with the team. It's like four something in the morning. We had went on workouts at six, so we still had to work out. Uh, coach told us, he looked at us and said, look around. There's 80,250 seats in here. And each and every person is banking on you to do your job, to, to be the best student athlete you can be. I'm depending on you to be the best student athlete you can be. I have a wife and, 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 and several kids. The head coach is banking on you to, to be the student athlete we recruited you to be. And when you go out and you make decisions like this, it hurts us all. And it hurts you ultimately because you have people at home that need you to be the best person you can be as well. And literally, like, from that day forward, the pride I have in being a Gamecock is unreal because I don't – I not only think of myself, I think of everyone. I think about when the team was 0-21 and people were still showing up or when we were 6-6 six and six and weren't good and couldn't win a big game. Everybody thought we were going to choke and from – having those horrible days to beating ranked teams, beating number one Alabama and never losing to Clemson, I'm forever going to be a Gamecock and I'm forever thankful. And when I speak, I only speak from the heart. Like I was in that locker room talking to my teammates. You know, when I talk, that's, that's how I've always spoke. And if it ruffles feathers, it's okay. It just wasn't, it, it's just who I am. And it's me being brutally honest. Like if you were on that team, I will talk to you the same way. So uh, for every fan, just know it's, it's coming from the right place in my heart because truly, truly, I can't thank you guys enough for supporting me when I didn't want to wake up at five in the morning and go work out. Or maybe when, okay, should I go out and go drink the night before a game? You, all that, when I started thinking of, of, of game cognition, it just made me take things serious. And I'm, I'm truly grateful for it. And that's why I'm forever to be. That's good stuff. Well, Tori, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, let, let's definitely do it again sometime. Obviously, we'll be, uh, you know, following along with you, all your, you know, opinions and takes during the year, everything with Fox Sports, NFL, and, uh, you know, I think I can speak for Gamecock Nation when I say really do appreciate what you did on the field for South Carolina and Garnet and Black and what you're continuing to do, you know, representing Gamecock Nation. It's, it's obviously special to watch, and, you know, obviously we'll continue to hear from you a lot as we continue on in this 2019 season, but really appreciate you taking the time, man. Let's do it again sometime. I appreciate it. All right, so for Tori Gurley, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.